we did this thing called the Living Room Theatre Concept. So that was in 1981 that we decided to just, um, you know, start Act 3. We went to homes to do birthday parties. I actually do remember that I think I was like 7 and Chanjo came to my house because I had a birthday party and you have these guys in like mask and all that it's like in the living room like up close your face like oh my gosh <laughs> <Yeah, the real laughs> that, that, that can be quite scary the views information and opinions expressed in this podcast and this youtube channel are solely the views of the individuals involved it does not reflect the views of their organizations employers and employees past present and future uncool is produced by creators at work and story machine like this show then rate it five stars and subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uncool is a podcast produced, written, and hosted by Sean Lee Winchong and co-hosted by Yenling Lo, co-produced by Raven Lim, and edited by Ray Ng. Uncool. It's cool to be uncool. And how to talk to people, we talk to people about how they started doing things. That's one of the things you do, right? And if as far as how to do things are concerned, I think that's what... I would really like to find out from our guest today because he is basically the founder of Singapore's first professional English language theatre company. When a time when theatre wasn't really a thing. And being Asian, we also know that if you are having a career in arts, it's kind of like the worst thing ever possible as far as our parents are concerned. How did he do it? How did he keep it going on for 40 over years? Uh, that's what I want to find out today and that's why we've got Chanjun. So welcome Chanjun. Thank you for joining Bye. us. Because this is the how to talk to people edition. Do you find that it's gotten a lot harder to talk to people now than before? Even though that we are all more connected with our devices and so on. I think face-to-face, yeah. Uh, Face-to-face, I think... uh, I think people sometimes, I feel, don't listen. Or they're not into details. Um, It's... It's quite strange. I just say it's my name. The funny thing is I write an email. My name is Chandran, right? With the N there. And people reply... Chandra, without the end. <laughs> and it happens so regularly. So I'm just wondering, I don't know whether they listen or not, they don't even read. And so, strangely, I actually, I try to make it a point when I write uh, to explain everything, is it? Because I know the questions will come. But it's not even, I think, uh, you know, maybe they, the, the art of conversation has gone. For me, I think it started when TV came into our lives. Initially, it was good when you had rental. I lived through TV three when it came. I think rental TV, we both still had together. But I think when TV uh, dominates and nobody, you know, is conversing at no time. And uh, of course, with now with uh, social media and Facebook and you can write, you can text. Uh, no need to. Now with emoji, you don't even have to text. And then it becomes everything becomes short form. So that's why it's easy when we are old timers, when we get together, I think it's when you chat. Uh, when with young people, I mean, there are some, of course, who do, but it's all quick paces. It's, uh, um, you know, sometimes it's uh, monosyllabic or, you know, people answer you and don't know whether they've heard you listen to your question or is it that they are, um, you know, even with interviews, people really don't, don't do research. Interviews, they don't do research. That they sometimes ask you questions that they should have known. It's not just a, a literal conversation. I think um, any connection seems to be short-circuited. <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> so how do you do that then? I think you just talk to people who who listen and talk like it is necessary. I think at this, at my age, uh, you yeah, never mind. <laughs> I, I think you just look for the positives. Like they are, they are, they are really, People who, who <laughs> want to have a conversation. If you don't want to, it's okay. If you guys have grown up in a Singaporean school, you have most likely seen 
Chandran or one of his colleagues in front of you in one of your school yeah, plays. At some point, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some I, point. I do remember that. I do I do I actually do remember that I think I was like seven and Chandran came to my house because I had a birthday party and they were doing like birthday parties uh, in houses. I can't remember that. I thought that, okay, and that was kind of scary, you know, in a sense. I'm not saying that children's theatre is scary, but when you're six and seven years old and you have these guys in like mask and all that, like in the living room, like up close to your face, like, oh my gosh. That can be quite scary. But but it was good fun. It was good fun. And I I, I do remember that that was one of the more memorable birthday parties I had when I was like a kid and well, I, I, unfortunately, I think I was a bit afraid. But anyway, um, so John, John, um, when he started out actually 40 years ago, right? And English theatre really wasn't a thing in Singapore. Well, of course, it's a thing now, thankfully. But English theatre wasn't a thing then. And so how do you actually talk to people to persuade them that, yes, theatre is a thing and this is something that, you know, you should get behind? Okay, for me, um, it was not about convincing people first. I mean, for me, my first um, actually interest was uh, football and sports. I mean, how I got into this was because I enjoyed uh, writing. Writing, that's how. And then uh, there came this opportunity. Uh, the three of us, uh, Jasmine, Ruby and myself, we met uh, when uh, the Singapore, uh, it was the radio Television Singapore at that time is Media Corp now. They wanted to start English drama and then uh, they got a few of us together. So I was both a writer and an actor. But then 1980 came and then the Speak Mandarin campaign came and then so uh, all the, the, the funding and support went to Channel 8. So um, Channel 5, the English drama was uh, sort of left aside. So so the three of us um, said we, we shouldn't let this go to waste. Uh, one thing, we, we started at something and then coincidentally... Um, for us, I think the the pool was um, um, reaching out to children, um, children's theater, uh, children's shows. That's how we started first, and then um, we said since we started, why why let it go to waste? So only the three of us were left from the group. We were really keen, is it? So that was in 1981. That we the three of us got together and decided to just uh, you know start Act Three. Um, as uh, Sean says, yeah, we. There was no tradition of um, theatre to start with. I mean, there were some groups like the Stage Club doing shows like Pantomime and, you know, once or twice a year, but uh, not much in, in a structured way. And uh, children's theatre too. So so for us, for me specifically, it was not about... I wanted to do what I enjoyed doing. Um, I, I don't think we imagined at the time, you know, this would what it would be like 40 years hence. Uh, I, I think it's just doing things, uh, especially me, because I was really uncool in school and all that too. Um, yeah, I just did what I, I wished to. So I think the, the what worked uh, at that time as going to Sean's um, home was, um, we thought um, how it would work is um, if we did this thing called the living room theatre concept is is taking theatre to people wherever they, they were. Like doing a show itself is, is, is the best promotion of itself. Um, um, it, you know, you didn't have to talk to anybody. You, you showed it uh, and not everyone was uh, um, scared like Sean. So the, the, the interaction and all that, I think it got, got, got adults interested. So we went to homes to do like birthday party. Actually, we started in a bookshop. That was our first breakthrough. That one we had to convince the bookshop to to take us on, but since it was a bookshop, it was MPH at Stamford Road at that time. So that's where we first did our shows in 1982. 
that was prior to forming the the company. Uh, and then people were there, so I, and then parents came. So you know, the interest is basically there to those who come, so it's easier to talk to them. And and also the show itself are uh, convinced. So then we went to homes to do birthday parties, um, to other bookshops. Then we worked in conjunction with radio. Like we went to like Times Bookshop and all that. So we did in conjunction, and we took theatre out. Um, we did almost everywhere. It was um, like uh, shopping centres. We even went to the park. Uh, at that time, there was a Brass Basa Park um, in 83, where Cafe is across there. So we did shows there. We went to the beach to do shows. So it was taking theatre to people wherever they were. And, you know, sometimes with luck or uh, with opportunities that uh, two things come. I mean, you are there and then the and and whatever is to happen comes. And uh, I think Singapore was at that time in the early 80s ready Um especially for parents to, to indulge in children. Um, and uh, and then it sort of grew uh, from there. In fact, we only started doing shows in a theatre itself um, close to 1984. There was about two and a half years from when we started taking theatre out to people um, where they were. where they were. And yeah, then word of mouth, um, you know, people at birthday parties, um, sort of, uh, you know, so like almost every weekend we were doing shows and in, in multiple shows. So that's how it started and it grew. So in a sense, uh, it was a default business plan. But uh, the living room theatre concept is uh, how it all started for us. So how viable was it as a business plan? Then? Since there really wasn't uh, a business plan plan per se when you started it, right? You just said... <laughs> So how, how how did that how did that go for you? You see, the thing is that if you don't expect things, I think the thrill is when somebody pays you. Is it? So even if it's a, a a small sum, I mean, they say, oh, actually, somebody would pay you to do a show like the bookshop. You know, uh, they, they see that it is a credible thing and they are willing to pay. Um, so it's sort of um, sort of says, oh yeah. Then then you start thinking, okay. Then you start thinking of the charges and how to make, you know, that the production cost. Uh, so, so you learn, everything was basically learned on the job, even, you know, working with children. That's the magic of children's theatre. I think when, like, going to homes, the audience was literally uh, arm's length away. So you actually learn the craft by looking in their eyes, you see, what's, what scares them, what um, sort of wins them over. And so, it, it, and business was that too, then how you charge and, you know, sort of it makes you confident that, okay, people are willing to pay, um, people are having, you know, willing to bring you to their homes to do a birthday party. Um, it's always with a charge and sort of it grew from there. It, it was uh, on that job, um, both uh, the, the, the production, the artistic sense and also the business sense. And then we went to schools and then the ministries came into play and yeah, so then we became cleverer. And the three of us, in a, in a sense, we also had our big, uh, individual strengths. Like Ruby came from a business background. Uh, she was working in a marketing company and Jasmine was in a, um, what we call the advertising agency. So, you know, with the props and all that. And for me, the instinct was writing. And then, yeah, so you just grow your individual strengths Um and then you sort of combine it. Ultimately, it's the product. You see, I mean, you can you can you can tell everybody everything about things, but if your product is not attractive or it doesn't win, then it's going to be a problem. I was just wondering. So, on your very first year, right when you all first started the company, your first couple of years, was there ever an instance whereby, let's say, you went to a put, you went to a, a, a submit a proposal, or you went to meet a potential client or pitch or something, and you said, "Oh, I I do." 
theater and because theater wasn't a thing then the response was huh what's that <laughs> and how did you then talk to them to you know sort of like explain your way through and convince them for us um i think for us one problem um initially was that because i was a private limited company i must say that uh, so we always had a problem getting funding because we started that way and we never changed it we were actually told to change a script we were doing a story and then there was something in that script was uh, against establishment but it was it was actually a book by Catherine Lim it's a book but they wanted us to change um, that that particular line although it was in the book which we refused to uh, and then we said that we won't do the show uh, it was a three parter so we wouldn't do one and then we did uh, two other stories and we were willing to refund uh, both because we were not doing the third show. But quite nice. Uh, I think the school supported us by, you know, they said, never mind, take the, yeah. So I think the real problem we had, um, it was about censorship. Or was it the whole idea that, you know, it's not, you, you need, guys need to be at least profitable or commercial as a business before I, you know, come in and, and invest in you guys. Or was there ever that kind of challenges being in a rather unconventional industry? Because for us, um, it was the three of us owning the company. I mean, we never had investors because, you know, once you have investors, it's going to be something else. It's going to be a different story. So we never had to sell uh, that idea. It was more like shows, uh, productions, uh, support. When we were doing traveling shows, there was a baggage company. Uh, uh, I, I think sometimes who you know, who you know, and uh, when you do like birthday parties, uh, somebody there, you know, has connections. So we rented a, a, this l- l- truck where we removed the canvas and then we performed on on the, you know, the it was a three-tunnel type of thing, is it? Uh, so we could get support in those years, uh, yeah, without much of a problem. You know, because I think um, we were doing things for children and families and then uh, I think they had no alternative. So um, even like Times the Bookshop, MPH, yeah, it was quite uh, no big problems. It helps and you don't have any alternatives. <laughs> yeah. We were also not trying to get like investors to invest and then we had to show uh, what we we're doing. And, yeah. In fact, um, later on, what happened was uh, we did, but uh, some the investor came, you see, in. Uh, that's why in 1995, we started X3 International to do the Drama Academy. But strangely, this man with money came to invest. We didn't even ask, is he? And then he didn't even ask about, you know. Um, yeah. Because I suppose the company was there and he he came to invest. And then that's how we started uh, X3 International as a separate arm of uh, X3 Theatrics. So there was no pitching involved. There was like, here, take my money and then ah, just grow this. <laughs> grow this as big as you can. <laughs> it's, I say it's a different mentality that you have to think of, yeah, that and then the long-term repercussions of that too. Like if somebody is uh, hovering over you, <laughs> then what you do becomes also, um, you know, you have to dilute it or you have to go a different way. That That's the, the other thing. I suppose it's what you want at the end of the day, is it? Is it the finance? I'm just going to say, is it the financial um, big part of it or is it um, the satisfaction of doing um, what you have wished for, you see? So, I mean, if it is finance, then yeah, then you have to think of um, that way of how to bring in investors and how to, you know, like or like Disney or, or something to make it into a... Then it runs its own risk, right? You know? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it was a very niche 
thing at the time. And, and like you said, there was a growing market for it. But I have a two-part question for you then. Why theatre, first of all? Because you came from the TV, apart from TV, uh, English TV, as you mentioned at the point of time, declining. You could go into anything at a point of time, but why theatre? And also, why kids' theatre? Was it just all about money or... Um, was it just something in your writing that you just felt like, okay, I think this was appealing, or the performance that was that was there? It's quite a simple reason for me. Basically, I'm comfortable with children and not adults. Even now, in a social gathering, I would rather blend with the in the, the curtains and you know. But with children, it's different. I think that was one thing, and then I think all three of us shared that. And I I feel um being a person like that to. Because children, um, I suppose um, in, in an Asian setting, um, not many people would listen to them. Um, you know, it, it, it's a fast-paced thing. Even in schools, unfortunately, uh, you know, with 40 students in a class, um, nobody has time for individuals. Whereas when you do theatre, then you, you can, you know, sort of engage smaller groups as you know, when you're doing like uh, traveling shows. And then um, then we realized that it's the power to engage them and give them a voice that sort of was challenging as well. I think rewarding. Because teenagers will be very difficult. <laughs> I think teenagers have their own mind. Uh, so, so I think the comfort and the ability to engage children was why we chose children. And with TV, is you don't have a control, you see. You know, I mean, if somebody else decides what to mm. do and all that, whereas it's all theatre, you decide. And then, you know, you, because you don't want to do what everybody else is doing or the mentality uh, which everybody has. So in um, theatre, if it's your own theatre, it helps that. Even like with, with movies and film and, you know, it's so much technical aspects involved. So a lot of it is also other people's involvement. So that's how it started. So I think data is immediate. And when you go to them, we found out we went to schools, the engagement. Um, it was almost like a circus going to schools. Why I say that? Because we went with really a lot of props, you see. In a sense, we went, um, I don't know how others do it today, but we really brought stuff uh, and then we would carry them from the car park or the the, the, the drive-in to, to the hall. And then the children would come and help us uh, carry stuff. Oh, and then that's so nice. So technically, it was actually like a circus coming to town. And then, uh, you know, and then the engagement. And then you tear it up. Sometimes the, the setting up and the, the tearing down is longer than the show itself. Uh, it's, so, I mean, we wanted to show the engagement. And I think the involvement in and giving them a voice and uh, so so as i was saying that um we also learned on the job so my writing also became such that it, it engages instead of just telling a story we started telling with them so that they, they have inputs to even a simple story like for example um uh, let's say like three little pigs we showed the pigs as uh, you know they, they they don't do housework they just want to be musicians and all that and actually the wolf was um was a decent animal but his father wanted him to you know go and catch he said he's not a dog he's a wolf so in in the sense the final um part where where the police come to arrest the wolf it i think we opened up to the audience it took them to be the jury uh to see what is to be done with a wolf so it's not an easy uh a decision for them uh if you if you show like it's no it's, it's not black and white it's gray so then that became the thrill of them uh, being able to to lead the stories 
Yeah, it's the void, like, and you say it's very noisy, but that's what it is. It's almost like forum or playback theater, but by kids. Yeah, yeah. It's like forum or playback theater, but told by kids or something. Yeah, it's what they want, and of course, there are a lot of them who have listened to fairy tales and such, and they want it a particular way, but there are also other uh, voices, so that also challenge that, you see, because it's like, it's not the wolf's fault, it's even the pig's world, so, you know. So, so at least makes them think, and it's not that you're always uh, determining uh, what it is like, whatever time you have. So, uh, listening to you, right, I'm getting a sense that, I mean, from a business point of view and from the way that you're just uh, doing things as, as, you know, as theatre as a thing, um, you're like a first mover. So, do you actually believe, having gone, having lived through that, do you believe that there's there actually advantages of being like a first mover? I think it's 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 like, you know, it's like walking in a forest. You don't know what's ahead of you, but you are the first one to to discover, you see. And uh, and also when um, tracks or paths open up, you know, you, you can explore. Definitely, I mean, of course, it's different um, because you have nothing to compare to. So it's just your own guts, your own, you know, sense of what it is. Um, that's the excitement. With I, I feel it, believe in subsequent, uh, you know, subsequently, yeah, I mean, People have got choices, um, and then things become structured. Where here you are almost random, you see, and you're almost discovering uh, what to do, how to do. Like children are not the same too. Even now we focus uh, on special needs um, children, uh, so it's not just blanket. It's not just one big block of people, is it? So it's um, it forces you to every time when you're there. Um, the audience is different. Um, the audience is different as a whole. The audience is different as individuals. So it, it makes you, um, you know, really figure out. You cannot say that you're an expert or, you know, they, they are going to behave in a particular way each time. I think that was the, the excitement of it too. Um, yeah, it's ex- exploring and finding. Um, and because if you have a positive mindset, um, which, we, which I always want to have, um, we don't, Take them as, you know, like, I mean, they're challenges, but you know that at the end of the day, yeah, things will work out. You see, if, if something doesn't, you just shift it. Uh, you're not, like, so structured that you don't want to move. Like, even now, you you do a drama program. Uh, I mean, you don't go with outline and say, I want to stick to it and just do what I tell you to do. Like, it doesn't, yeah. So, and when you have nothing to fall back on, it's quite a thrill. <laughs> that is really um, a very interesting perspective because I think a lot of people when they talk about being the first mover as well, they talk about you know the the very advantageous parts of it, which is you know there's there's no competition basically, but it is true where you're you're walking on an untrodden path, so everything is new but so scary at the same time. Now, I was just going to say about the no competition. That that could be a danger if you if you feel that you are safe and, uh, you know, there's no competition and then you sort of rest on your laurels. That do the other dangers. I mean, so you, you need to focus on what you are doing regardless of what's happening around you. And, uh, yeah, so that that's important, you see, because they, they could also lull you to the idea or oh, nobody else is doing or because, uh, you know, people know me and they would come to me first, then, you get sloppy. That's interesting because 
you are the first, and then you see all these guys coming around, making the theatre scene. Technically, they're competitors. And at the same time, I think you're an inspiration for a lot of people. So, you know, people, after looking at you guys, you're like, oh, maybe that's something that, or something similar that I want to do. I, I think it's also an advantageous position because um, because you have done things, then you can open up. Like, for us students, we, we sort of sort of incorporated, like, preschoolers uh, and then special needs. Uh, not because you know the other, I mean, maybe others were doing um, a children's theatre, so it was not you're not needed there as much anymore. So you also look for other avenues that are similar, and because of the experience you've had, um, then you know like special needs, for example, is a different challenge. Um, but but you have the basic sort of skills, um, you know, and then I think you're braver in a sense to venture. Uh, further, uh, yeah, that, that 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 that's the thing. Um, so people are always catching up. I mean, now a lot of uh, companies are also doing. <laughs> all, all the major companies are doing children's yeah. <laughs> theatre on one side, and then now they are also going into uh, special needs too. Yeah. So and right now you also you mentioned you're you're moving into theatre or shows for special needs as well, right? How different does it, or how even how similar does your writing have to be as compared to your previous children's shows? Actually, what we do now mostly is working with um, those with special needs and then uh, finding special abilities. So the the idea is that all of us have special needs. Mine is I'm painfully shy um, uh, as myself. That's my special need. So how I overcome that is this. So uh, again, uh, when you work with uh, yeah people term special needs, it's finding what their special skills are. Like we have done a story with uh, a dancer who is... Uh, uh, hearing impaired or deaf, actually he is, but he dances, you see, so, you know, you do you do stories, but in the, in the sense that you don't need, uh, like, butterflies, the idea of butterflies don't need music, and they are dancing, and in such that um, they can feel the vibration. Mm. Um, so you incorporate um, um, uh, what they, 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 they are, can be, or you just do any story that, you know, yeah, it just, um, um, we, we, Find the strengths in people. We worked uh, recently. I did a musical a few years ago, and until we had to stop because of COVID, we were working with uh, an inclusive company where um, where we had is uh, a man. He's uh, 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 diagnosed with autism, um, and uh, but he plays the piano beautifully, easy um, um, by ear, and he just listens to and he can play, but. It's a bit difficult to manage him in on set, but we, we did a musical in which he was the central character, um, and and we also always had a shadow with him, uh, uh, an actor with him, like in case on stage he did other things. But and then it culminated with him playing the piano, and we got somebody from Jazz Association singing. So he actually accompanied, and he didn't really need uh, 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 many rehearsals. Uh, so for me, that's. That's the thing I would like to do today. And next week, we're putting up a show in a primary school with a, a lady who uh, has cerebral palsy. She's wheelchair-bound, but she's a poet. And for her to share her poem. So um, it's finding the the abilities, special abilities, and then trying to give them a voice and propagate that. So that's that's 
the current emphasis. So these are adults. I mean, adults and children now. Uh, it's good now there's much more support uh, for our schools. I think it's also not compulsory that they have to be sent to school at primary level already. And uh, I think the, there's government support funding for arts in the school. But unfortunately, like by 18, when they leave school, most of them just stay at home. I know, like, what else to do, you see? Because, uh, you know, I mean, some of them, when the parents are really um, enthusiastic, they they can see that uh, it also takes a toll on parents. Um, so I think this this takes a, 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 a bit away from, you know, they always have to be there. Because they always their worry is what happens when they themselves, the parents, go, you see what happens to them. So... And a lot of them are talented. It, the, the thing is that um, with um, so-called special needs is that they have this talent is it uh, focused, you know, mainstream or you are broad. But there, some of them are so focused that they can, I'm sure you've come across those artists who can do minute uh, drawings, uh, replications of, uh, of stuff uh, just by memory. So it's finding like what their skill is and then uh, try to, to develop that and give them a sense of, you know, worth, patience. <laughs> That's what you learn from their children also. Yeah. The, I mean, I think it's a it's a beautiful thing. I never I never thought of it that way before, you know. It's sometimes just giving people the confidence to express themselves, uh, the opportunities to express themselves for them to do that. Now, we, we talked about the differences of um, talking, working with, and performing for uh, special needs. Um, but we also, you, as you mentioned before, talked about the differences of talking to children and adults. So in your opinion, so what's, what's that main difference, you think, uh, between communicating with children and adults? And why one just draws you more than the other? Because I, I personally, you know, if, if it's a whole hall full of children and the adults, I also prefer talking to the children <laughs> a lot more than adults. <laughs> you know, so what do you think it is about about children? And um, why is it so difficult for some for some of us to talk to, to you know, people our own age? I feel that children are willing to listen and uh, talk to you. I don't know, I mean, not to say all adults don't, but I think adults sometimes come with preconceived notions and then it, it sort of gets into an argument. And <laughs> I think it's also just being, uh, whether you are uh, outgoing or you are somebody who is uh, quieter. Because I think with with, with children, if, if you are basically like them, like, you know, uh, in a sense, it's easy because you just want them to talk um, as much as possible, um, and then you know it's you can encourage them to to do that, and uh, and sort of here and there you know get into the conversation. Whereas I suppose uh, maybe adults are more cynical. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I know. I think it's just uh, it's just a comfort level. Um, yeah, I'm just always um, comfortable with. Basically, maybe it's because of my my character too. I think I think it's the beautiful um, sort of uh, growth of a market and the growth of the art scene as well. I think it was very, like like I mentioned in the beginning, most people, especially my age, Sean's age, we would have watched actually one time in our life at least in school, right? So we remember it. And we remember that it was actually, and I think it was a very um, small, but at the same time, uh, maybe um, it left an impression on our kids. 
So have you ever thought about that? Like when you're writing your stories and, and trying to tell stories, trying to bring a point across, like telling kids, it's not just black and white, it is grey. Have you ever thought about this is what the kids are going to think about in the future, you know, or, or shaping their thoughts in a certain way. Definitely no. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I think you, you live in the present and you just do your best. Um, and the, the idea is to, I think, build confidence in children, um, young people to do as they would like to, um, you know, not to be angry about, you know, not to say that in Singapore you can't live with the arts or you can't be an active. But now there are a lot of people who do, you see. Um, if you want to, it's hard work. I mean, that, that's the important thing. And, um, and there are people who would listen to your voice. I mean, don't shy away from the thing that nobody cares. I think a lot of people who care. Um, but I, for me, I've never. And so it always is uh, wonderful when people remember like you do. And just two days ago, because it's so fresh in my mind, uh, this gentleman came up to me to say, he said, thank you for coming to my primary school. Uh, because you did a show on uh, um, on the idea of uh, say no to smoking, he said he it made such an impression that he promised himself never to smoke, and until today he has not smoked. Yeah, you do a show, you do things. Yeah, so I mean that's what I remember now. Like most people, I think that's what what they good about children's theatre, and, and you know people always have pleasant memories instead of you know lucky you didn't play a villain or something although I did play villains but people don't remember that um, so it's it's always a pleasant thing which, which you never have thought of like, I think it's like a lot of I think yeah very few people when you're doing it you think of the future that you know you always wonder whether it, all this is making a difference to people but you only realise it when people are adults and then they remember and it's fondly easy um, yeah and and it was never forced, I suppose. I tried to live my life that I can be an example if people want to live this way. So which is also really such a pleasure that a lot of those who have come through, um, even Sean, <laughs> uh, who was uh, uh, with us for a while, right? Uh, doing, you know, work in the arts, in the industry, being actors, being, you know, uh, it's a byproduct. Um it's it's many things like we're not definitely not just us, but uh, yeah. Can I tell you my impression of the um, performance or performances that I had? I do not actually remember what the topic was about. It must have been something about like drugs or something. I say no to drugs, that kind of thing. But I do not remember because I I only think that's it was say no to drugs because that would have been very typical of um primary school. But I do. I think the impression that I had was, oh, you know, arts is people can perform and there is, I think in my young mind, there was no such thing as, oh, there's a market for it. But there is a possibility that someone can do something like this. I, I think that was the impression that has lasted with me until now. And that's why I always remember Act 3. Right and and you guys going to schools all the time. I mean, like, oh, I you know, something like this actually exists. And you can do something like this. And that's why I always um, lean towards the arts a little bit more because of that. So it's so like a very roundabout, <laughs> very second-handed impression. But that's why I got instead of the actual, the actual story itself. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people have shared that, that um, just seeing on us on stage um, gave the idea that why not them uh, too. Um, yeah, I think that's the interesting thing is not to imitate, but to find their own paths 
And you know, it can be different. It can be you know. So that's why it's so varied that that this thing. But but I think the end of the day is uh, how as adults we can help children. Um, you know, give them the power to do things as they wish. But I think they must always remember it's hard work. Is it's not it's not. You know, people cannot just sit there and say, "I want to be an actor," and then expect uh, everybody else to help you. Like I think Damn, it doesn't work. It's not just yeah. Singapore. I think it's anywhere <laughs> else. I mean, some lucky people. I, I don't know. Like you, even you go to Hollywood, or there a lot of people struggling, and so you can't say just Singapore. Uh, no, then what? When for you, Chanjan, uh, when and what was the moment that you experienced when you realized that okay, I, I I've made it. I think theater drama can be a viable thing for me as a career. In the mid eighties, um, we got into the scheme with the Ministry of Culture at that time that we could use Drama Centre, the one, the old one, at Fort Canning. I think four productions a year and then uh, if you do three shows each production, then you didn't have to pay for the rental and all that. So when we started doing that, then it became such that uh, we were doing a 40-odd shows per production, is it? Uh, and it was always full house. La. So, sorry, 40 and four productions. Uh, four productions a year. You actually only had to do three uh, three shows per production and you qualify okay. for this. I think with us and Theatre Works and Necessary Stage, so we had our own places. La. So, us was Drama Centre. I think somebody was at ah. uh, Victoria Theatre and yeah. Then we were able to do like 40-odd shows like three three shows a day almost, you see. Then we could also offer like employment to others. Um, it was not just the three of us anymore. Uh, there was a fourth person who came uh, when we started uh, AT85. Then we could actually um, have like full-time actors and people doing props and costumes. Um, yeah, so from like um, mid-80s, late-80s to 90s, um, you know, um, it was, it was like, uh, then when we moved to um, uh, Ken Hill, we know the old ACS um, up the hill, like the premises was quite large, you see. So from, we started in uh, 81, it was a hotel room. Some kind soul allowed us to use one hotel room. Then we went to the squash center. Then, you know, when we came here, it was really a, a proper place. So, yeah, and then uh, we could, I think there was also, uh, I think fulfilling is that you could afford to to have um, people like specific roles, even like, uh, you know, um, from um, a receptionist to somebody who does costumes to props and, you know, stuff. Yeah. So that's when you're like, oh, yes, I've made it a little bit into a proper a proper outfit right now. <laughs> so was that the moment or so when you could go to your mom and say, yeah, you see, I told you, the other can make a living. Actually, parents are strange. I mean, Although they didn't forbid, but I think I was quite disappointed with my, my dad, you know, like he wanted to be either, of course, would be an accountant, doctor, or, or engineer, I think, or lawyer. Yeah. But I think when we started and we appeared on TV, my dad would always go around, you know, quite embarrassing, lah. then he always go around telling, well, you know, my son is on TV. <laughs> uh, they were quite early on. Yeah. They were not, they were supportive, fortunately, in like my family. So um, then when you, you know, sometimes you are not doing shows, you are saying, oh, come today, got no work, is it? Or, yeah, it sort of, um, yeah, changes to uh, the other side. Uh, yeah. Then you started hiring people as well, especially people in the arts. The impression that was given, even during the, the performances itself, was that, oh, um, there is a future in the arts, or there's a future for Singapore arts also. But there are still a lot of people who feel 
doubt in that or, or feel like they cannot hop into it because maybe like your parents, our parents, they still do not see a future in that um in the career. Um they do not feel secure in doing so. So what do you think you can say to them if you meet a person like that? Firstly is uh how badly you want to do it. And then you must take out all the outside influences like like not like who is going to give me an opportunity or or how do I get the money and all that first is you put that aside and make yourself be indispensable, be good. I mean, whatever craft that is that people would want you, instead of assuming that you are the best and then, you know, why nobody is uh, uh, employing me. Like, I, I think you have to hone your skill, your craft as much as you can first. And don't, I mean, the money is there, but um, you, you have to be like, because uh, why would somebody want to use you? You have to be different or you have to have a different skill or your mental, your mentality has to be different. It's because some people work very hard. If you can see, um, even currently, um, some actors do a lot of work because I think they're willing to work hard. This is not exploitation. It's, you just have to, you know, show people you are trustworthy, that you have the skill and then stamina to, yeah. So uh, I think a lot of people, unfortunately, say that they, they you know, the, you know, like there's no support. You just have to take that away. Like you just have to do things, um, become good at it, and then you know, um, the opportunities will come. You have to be there, you see. Be positive, and then slowly you can you can value yourself, because you can see that there are people who are doing the arts. You need to adapt to and find how you get like for us. You know, you we at I mean, children's theater is children don't decide. Parents do so. You have to go to places where they're adults. Uh, you know, like even like going to a home, a birthday party, so that adults watch it. So that because the adults decide, is it? So you you cannot say that I'm purely an artist or not, and I just want to do this. That can come later. Uh, for now, you need to adapt. I mean, not not using losing your principles or your philosophy, but um, uh, just broadening it a little and doing things. Like, I did mascots, I did um, Santa Claus and all that too, you see. So, I mean, I, all these are experiences that make you better. The way to go forward is to do, to do things. Parts will open up, you know, because people see you, they, you know, they see that you're hardworking. But if you, if you are always complaining, um, you know, and then it's bad vibes that don't help. Positivity helps. You need to take the steps uh, in a path and then things open you. Some things you never expect. Uh, and you can stumble upon, and you know, yeah. like Michelle, you're winning the Oscars. Or I mean, I don't think that's what you <laughs> start off with, but you need to start off with something um, and believe um, in yourself, but make yourself better along the way. The best, la, I mean, if you want to be uh, the people to, you know, acquire new skills or or do do, you know, things different. I, I do believe that as well. I have seen, and this might be a little bit of a rant on my side, <laughs> where there's a lot of talk nowadays about people like valuing an individual's skill sets and talents, um, but it's very hard to do so when you haven't shown that before being given the opportunity. Right? You, you sort of have to, to, to fight for that. A little bit, and that sometimes is going the extra mile, putting in the extra work 
doing the extra hour and not just saying I can do it, but you gotta, you know, you gotta pay me for it first before I do it for you. But no one is at the same time gonna pay you for it if you haven't proven yourself to do so. I mean, it's a chicken and egg kind of thing. I think now uh, the competition also is more complex, complex. They have influencers and you know. Others who are uh, media savvy, so uh, you can't say that they, they don't deserve. I mean, those people also work very hard, is it? But they have no now. Production houses also look at how many followers you have. So I mean, the talent is one thing. I think you have to invent yourself, unfortunately. But that's what it is. It evolves, right? I mean, that's talent too. You can't say it is. Uh, I mean, the influencers or whoever. It's hard work, I'm sure, and it's it's non-stop too easy. So you can't uh, say that oh, so easy. I just influencer keep it. So you just have to invent yourself and find what works now. When I listen to you, it strikes me how important strategic thinking is in that sense. But very little of it is done by founders of businesses, of new businesses in general, right? They just want to, hey, I want to do it because I want to do a new business because it's cool and so on. So since you were basically starting a business when there really wasn't any reference or so on for, or, or industry to speak, uh, you know, to, to do that strategy thinking. So how, how did it flow for, for the three of you? Fortunately, the three of us, the, the mentality was somewhat similar and we had different strengths, as I said. So, and Past experience, like Ruby was from a marketing uh, business side, and Jasmine had you know um, is 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 wonderful with hands, and uh, for me, I enjoy writing. So that that's all came together, and the mentality was was similar. Like we're not after money. Uh, first, we wanted to do this work and reach out to young people, and I think because you are in the creative field, you would automatically think creativity. So um, you know your mind, um, just like writing. A new play or new script, you automatically think, okay, how to, if, if I have this challenge, what do I do to circumvent it or go around it or or, or who is, who has got strength to do what and how you get little inroads. Um, it's it's in your DNA because that's what you do, is it? I think in, as an actor, you are also um, the chameleon, you're playing different roles and, and, you know, sometimes it's difficult. You know, most of the times you're not, you're saying, even when you're dealing in a business sense, you're also putting on, you're playing a character, right? I mean, um, most of us, I think, just want to sit in a corner and not face all this. So I think instinctively it happens when you're in this business, uh, you are challenging yourself to think of new ways to think, yeah, so... So uh, depends on what business you do, because if money or if um, quick bucks is your motivation, then I think you have to think different. And this is this is a marathon. It's it's a long distance. Uh, you plan so that uh, you know there is ups and downs, but you have enough time to to overcome things. Life and the risks are that calculated in that sense, uh, spread over. That's why we didn't didn't um, spend money like getting premises and all that, which we got it through NAC where there is a... Because then you have to think of all those things when you have um, costs that you cannot control. So you're always uh, mindful. So these are little lessons. Like, I mean, I had background in accountancy too. So at least, you know, there's some idea that you... Um, make sure that, um, you know, whatever the money comes in, it covers and then it sort of builds on. Um, rather than, you know, thinking of like one millions and then think the other way how to achieve it. Because it can be quite stressful because it's a long distance um, and you don't see an end. I mean, it's not like, you know, so uh, there's time, there's time and there's, uh, 
yeah, you're not worried about you know loans or or getting a lot of money in and investing and then um, you know having at the mercy of others. So yeah, I just want to set the context first. When uh, in, in your definition, what is Singapore theatre? I think it's theatre put up by Singaporeans, but not necessarily the content. It doesn't have to be English. I mean, if you if that's what you want to do, what's what's beautiful is there's so many things you can do from mime to puppetry to bringing in classics to doing your own to musical. I think it's Singaporeans, um, basically um, actors, producers, and you know, um, putting up um, shows um, in in that sense. Um, maybe one day it will be all Singapore, but I think that'll be boring also. Um, yeah, it doesn't. I, I don't think Singlish Singlish alone, or uh, you know, um, would be or a mixture. You know, as we go bolder, which is why you broaden, you broaden the base, broaden in a number of people who coming come to theatre and they have their own ideas. The better it is, I think it's healthier that uh, we are able to support. Um, Singaporeans. I mean, if you bring a low, a foreign production and bring a whole lot of foreigners to do, then I then I don't consider that um, um, local theatre, Singapore theatre. But if you use a script, but basically it is, um, it, it's. I think it's a learning process too. You know, you sort of go stages too. First, you do like fairy tales, then you know slowly. I think it gives you strength, and sometimes you do it because you want the audience to come. You want to have a following. Unfortunately, if you like, even in children's theatre, if you do a unknown title, it would be difficult to draw until unless you are a big theatre company. If you are starting off, it's good to do titles that people are familiar with. That's something they can latch onto. Um, then slowly you build from there, and then you find your own niche. Because today, if you look at the theatre companies, they have different strengths. Some do basically um, Singapore play. Some bring in things that that can resonate. I mean, if you do foreign also, I mean, it should resonate with us. I mean, you know, how to, yeah. That's what I feel Singapore theatre is by Singaporeans. Yeah, speaking about, uh, you know, strategy and the costs of, of running the business as well, especially in this post-pandemic world, right? Rising cost of living, people's priority shift uh, is shifting. And I think there was a huge shift um, during the, the, you know, last few years as well. Arts isn't at the top of the list for a lot of people. A lot of people prefer to spend their money on other things. And you have gone through a lot of it throughout your your past 40 years in the business. You know, in your opinion, how does the next 10 years or 20 years look like for the art scene um, in Singapore, the theatre scene in particular? For me, a positive, because um, I, I think it's not true that um, the arts means less. From our experience, we do storytelling on Saturdays and it's quite amazing. It's always full house. Parents bring their children. They're very young children, some of them like below four, below three. And a lot of new faces. I mean, we are quite surprised pleasantly. I don't know because it's a COVID or it just happens. So I think people are aware and, you know, they, they are bringing children to theatre, that's one. And if you look around, there are lots of theatre uh, shows going on, even foreign ones coming in. So I, I think we need to yeah, be careful and not to overdo it. So you need to uh, um, think carefully because there is a support. So how you don't exhaust it. Because if you if, if you think that there's, there's uh, a, a lot of support and then you, you exhaust yourself and then your standards go down, that will be a problem. You see. So you still have to do the best. 
But um, recently, all I think many of the shows, uh, even the uh, local productions, are always sold out. And if you see that there's LaSalle, there's, uh, you know, Nafa. I think theatre maybe, because it's live, somehow it's, it's people still need it, you see. Um, even with Zoom and all that, I, you know, when you do a, a face-to-face um, drama program, it, it is different. And I, people, I think, appreciate it. And uh, our post actually there's not been a slump in 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 my my what I see when when things are organized there always seems to be a lot of people um, coming and I think the greatest pleasure is when parents bring young children expose them to stories and yeah I mean, every every Saturday we have we we do storytelling uh, at Gateway and and it's it's always um full house and some of the children are really almost toddlers where parents are willing to bring. How, how, how would you talk to people who are very, you know, just starting on their career and just starting on the arts? Like, what would you say to them? For me, I'll try and understand um, what their real passion is without questioning. I mean, for me to listen to why they want to do something, is it they want to change the world? Is it, uh, you know, that they feel angry about something? Uh, I, I would like to find that then then it's um, easier to see perhaps how you can go systematically without sort of getting in the way. Like if you're angry and then you, 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 the anger is what motivates you, could be also risky because then you're not looking for um, solutions, you see, that, that um, you become too cynical. Um, or you want to change the world, <laughs> you know, sometimes you're angry or you think that everything is going wrong. But then I would suggest then that it, it, it always takes small steps. You can't, you know, I mean, like each individual child or individual person you can um, reach out to, uh, then slowly that that person to, you know, it's sort of a rippling effect and, and it goes out. But if you uh, want to change the world and make this a better world and then you are thinking of uh, macro then I mean try not to waste energy on that like the li- do the little things uh, that matter focus on what you feel your your ability is the best bit of you what you're blessed with and then um, see how you can use that positively and and things will happen is it because you can't change the world I, I don't think uh, as, a, as an individual you can't change the whole world but you can change in small uh, bits and pieces and then that helps um, like you know like we say that now people remember what we did I mean we didn't set out to change the world or anything but but you make impressions in people's lives and hopefully it's positive then it sort of uh, you know multiplies that way you see then you know you, you see that it happens like, but if you're, if you're very angry about things and then uh, you, you're not happy with how somebody else is doing, I think you shouldn't compare. People do what comes naturally to them, what they are best at, uh, whatever way they want to do theatre and, you know, not to criticise others, but try to find um, your own strengths uh, and breathe. La. Breathe naturally. And so that's how, folks, if you want to build a sustainable career in theatre and drama for 40 over years, that's what you do. <laughs> yeah. So we talked about your, your career, about starting out. So looking back, when do you think you were the most uncool? And what would you say to yourself if you could right now? I think that was long before. I mean, when I was a teenager, I think I dreaded like going up a bus, a public bus, because uh, I thought when I went up there, everybody was staring at me in a negative way. Um, those few years, um, 
sometimes I would think like my classmates are cooler and you know they go like they go, all these other stories but today I will go back and still tell myself just be myself uh, there's nothing to be ashamed of because what the, the life is it the end is it now I have a beautiful family you know people with love uh, um, good vibes around me so even those uncool uh, uh, what I thought or what was uh, supposedly uncool that I know I was mostly by myself and uh, not going out night spots and whatever experimenting things and all that actually I was also cool and uncool I just used to wear a bell bottom that was like 18-20 inches and <laughs> and wearing platform shoes. <laughs> yeah, the advantage for me was being uncool uh, when it's cool. That's why my football club I, I chose is Chelsea when it's cool to be a Manchester United <laughs> or Liverpool supporter. So I've always chosen the other way uh, to be the other one. How can uh, people find out about you and Act3 maybe on social media and how can they reach out to you? Uh, my Instagram is rchandranrama. Then let me know. I will then give them. I'm, I'm always ready to chat. Yes. I think I have a blog somewhere, but I don't think I've uh, progressed much. Uh, how else? <laughs> yeah, I can personally give people my phone number. These days, actually, I, I want to cherish life by meeting people and chatting. So if you want to have a genuine conversation with Chandran, reach out to him through his Instagram or Facebook. And uh, yeah, maybe... Yeah, drop him a DM. Yeah, maybe in real life as well. Have a real conversation. Like this show? Then rate it five stars and subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uncool is a podcast produced, written, and hosted by Sean Lee Winchong and co-hosted by Yenling Lo, co-produced by Raven Lim, and edited by Ray Ung. Uncool. It's cool to be uncool. On the next episode of Uncool... I took an insane pay cut going to uh, from finance into a fashion startup. And is it more than 50% of a pay cut? Yeah... I can't imagine what your mom and dad must have thought about it. Dude, they were about to disown me. <laughs> <laughs> and cool. New episodes every Saturday.